Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing Drama with Dana Wilkie Uncensored. We have officially moved to Patreon. Here's a sneak peek of Dishing Drama with Dana Wilkie. Come on, bitch, bitch, bitch let's go. <laughs> Hi, you guys. Well, I decided I wanted to do a show on Jada Pinkett Smith's new book, Worthy. I decided to listen to the entire book and give you guys sort of the highlights of the chapters that really stood out to me. I really enjoy doing these types of shows. And then, of course, I'll tell you what's been floating around gossip land on some other fronts regarding this. In the Patreon, we've covered Jada Pinkett Smith and the whole family in a deep dive. And they're a very complicated group of people. Uh, and I just felt like, how could I not talk about this book, right? <laughs> I have to as part of our compilation. And it's funny because the book is, I guess, a shout out to empowering women and acknowledging your vulnerabilities when people think you're awesome. It would be the way that I would sort of say is the theme of the book. Uh, it would appear that Jada Pinkett Smith, although comes off as if she's very proud of who she is as a woman and beautiful and successful and has this epic, famous family, actually deep down inside is never happy and doesn't totally know why. And this is the journey that the book is taking her on. She says that she changed some names to protect people's privacy and she did her best to recall events, although some things may have been recalled incorrectly. She makes a lot of caveats like that. She also speaks about some pretty dark days for her in regards to her mental health, which she then does the trigger warning, which I'm about to do for you. If you ever feel like you don't want to go on, you need to get help because you are important and valuable. And because today sucks doesn't mean tomorrow's going to suck. And because you can't see a way forward now doesn't mean you won't find that way. And remember, life is hard for everyone, no matter what the hell they're posting on their damn Instagram or Twitter or Facebook and their glamorous this and their beautiful that. It's hard on everybody. They're just not telling you the truth. They're telling you something for you to be inspired by to possibly hide their own pain. So you are not alone and we are all here to support you. And speaking of wanting to be transparent with your problems, that brings us to Jada Pinkett Smith's new book because she's willing to share with you a lot. The number for help, if you ever need it, is 988, and you can SMS to that number. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now, let's get into it. Jada Pinkett Smith talks a lot about how she was diagnosed right on her 40th birthday with a complex trauma PTSD with disassociation. And that as a result of this diagnosis, she finally understands why her whole life she has felt plagued with doom and that she's not been happy. And although on paper, she has this amazing world around her that she's created and she's followed all the social rules by working hard and accomplishing goals that other people would be so impressed by, she still feels 
without happiness. And she also comments that she's not in a good place with Will Smith. And she starts to contemplate suicide, but she doesn't want to hurt her children. So she decides that she is going to, instead of doing a proper suicide, she's going to make it appear as an accident. She goes up to Mulholland Drive, which is uh, actually a, a site of many incidences where we've lost celebrities and car accidents. And she drives down the road contemplating what cliff she might drive her car off of to make it look like an accident. And the only reason she doesn't follow through with it based on her testimony is because the cliffs are not steep enough and perhaps she'll survive. And then she would be a greater burden on her family than if she had just committed suicide because her idea is that she can leave her family thinking it was an accident, they'll mourn her death, and then you know they'll still be happy and they'll move on. Whereas if it was like her doing it to herself and they found out it would plague them. So she doesn't want to be a burden in a different way, which is like now she'd be a physical burden because she's in a hospital like say forever and they've got to take care of her and all this stuff. So she talks herself out of it. Then she jumps to a moment where she sort of thinks of it as like a life-saving moment for her mental state. And that is that she hears her son, Jaden, talking in the other room to his friends and they're mentioning how one of their fathers went to Peru and took ayahuasca, which is an ancient medicine that comes in the form of a drink using, this is a big word, Psychotria viridis shrub, along with stalks of Banisteriopsis and capy vine. And other plants and ingredients can be added to it as well. Is this legal? DMT is an ayahuasca and that's a Schedule One narcotic. Right. And that is illegal. The plants on their own are not illegal. But when brewed together to make ayahuasca is illegal. There have been cases with the Supreme Court that have been one where churches have been allowed the right. And we believe we have that right yeah. um, to, to do it. And we've been operating out in the open publicly. So we know there could potentially be legal consequences for it. But you don't stop practicing your faith because it's illegal. Ayahuasca is made from plants, but it's not for the faint of heart. It contains an extremely potent hallucinogen called DMT. And along with being illegal, it also comes with some risk. Rarely, it can lead to a life-threatening condition called serotonin syndrome, which causes a wide range of symptoms, including nausea, vomiting, high fevers, facial flushing, tremors, and agitation. People who have taken it say they experience eye-opening, even life-altering visions. Some happy, some difficult, but often deeply introspective. Because of this, this ancient substance has a newfound wave of mainstream acceptance. Do you guys know what ayahuasca is? Oh, yes! Um, oh, come on, this is Jimmy Kimmel's audience, y'all know ayahuasca. Will Smith saw his career destroyed in a hellish ayahuasca trip. NFL star Aaron Rodgers says it taught him, quote, how to unconditionally love myself. This kind of language does overlap with themes you typically hear at a place of worship. Now, almost a third of the U.S. population say they're not affiliated with any religion. This drink was used by ancient Amazonian tribes and still is considered a sacred beverage in Peru and Brazil and L.A. because they've been doing this type of tea drinking in L.A. for years. By the way, you guys, just as a sidebar, I have done what <laughs> Jada Pinkett Smith is talking about. And I am going to tell you the story of the time that I did ayahuasca 
tea with my girlfriend and what happened to me, because it's a really funny story, not as deep and meaningful as Jada Smith's story, but it's, you know, in my form, a funny moment in my life. And yes, there was a shaman involved. All right. So uh, she ends up getting excited about this concept of taking this natural psychological treatment she finds out that there is a woman in Los Angeles that's like a shaman that is doing it for people. And she's really excited to experience the psychological benefits that people have been saying they've experienced, mainly Jaden's friend's dad. He probably was a big famous guy. Who are we kidding? <laughs> okay. Uh, so she was like, yeah, if he's doing it, I want to do it. So we begin this adventure with Jada Pinkett Smith back in 1985 when she's 13 years old. Her mom is an RN hospital maternity ward nurse, and she works the night shift from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. She's a single mom. At this point in the story in 1985, Jada is 13 years old, and her mom has just newly separated from her stepdad, and she's working incredibly hard to try to give a life to Jada Smith and as a single mom was struggling. And Jada is a wild child and a little bit of a rebel, we get a sense of. And she has this boyfriend who she calls out was black and Asian. And he works at 7-Eleven and she decides that she wants to go out and see him, although she's 13 years old because her mom isn't home, she's at work, and that she's going to just go through the streets of her neighborhood and this more dangerous part of her neighborhood, you know, like on the edge of it, because she is like a good part of her neighborhood, a bad part of her neighborhood. And so she journeys into the bad part of her neighborhood and as she's walking Closer and closer to the 7-Eleven, there's a gentleman who pulls up in a car and he's white. And he first asks her, you know, have you seen my lost dog? And then it moves on and he says, do you know how to get to this location? And she realizes that he's masturbating and he's a predator and she gets really scared because she's only 13 and she just kind of answers him quick and walks away, but tries to act like nothing happens. And she kind of butches out a little bit to try to make him not find her attractive, like be more masculine. And she said that that was very triggering for her. And she learned that she had to kind of tone down her female attributes because predators might be attracted to it. And so by being more manly, she would have less like problems in the hood or whatever, or just with men in general. She gets to the 7-Eleven. She meets up with her boyfriend who she loves at this time as, you know, little girl love. And she stays with him all night talking while he's finishing his night shift. And then in the morning, she sneaks back into her house in time for her mom to not know she was gone and all that and gets away with it. Okay. So we get this glimpse into Jada, which seems to be very different to her next story she tells, which is that she has a grandmother that she's very, very close to. And I guess in her years before 13, she spends a lot of time with this grandmother at her house. 
and especially in her garden. And what we come to find out is that Jada Smith's grandmother was involved in the civil rights movement, was uh, involved in politics and outspoken and well-traveled and constantly was using the way that she raised Jada Smith as a method to teach Jada Smith on the type of woman that she wanted to be, not by like telling her, you know, do this or do that, but by demonstrating through the things that she would participate with Jada in to sort of show her the way. So for example, she would have Jada clean the house. And if she didn't do a a good job at cleaning, she would make her do it over and over again because she was trying to show her that if you can't take pride in the small tasks, you certainly aren't going to take pride in the big tasks and you should be giving everything equal pride. And so that was the lesson there. She also spent a lot of time teaching Jada about growing in a garden and making compost and how there's a cycle of seasons and life and how it all interacts. And she wants to touch these baby bunnies in the garden. And the grandmother's like, no, if you touch them, the mother won't take care of them and they'll die. You have to respect nature and the way that it functions. And so she learns that. And then she also learns that there's uh, multi-cultures and religions in her community. And she's explained that some of them will not talk to her grandmother or her, but her grandmother's like, don't take offense. That's their culture. They have their ways and don't take offense to them because everybody has their own way. So she learns tolerance to other people's ethnicities and cultures and religions. But this also makes her curious about religion. Jada spends a lot of her childhood growing things in the garden, which she does later in her life. And she really enjoys the growing of food and herbs and vegetables. And she really chalks this time up in Baltimore as like the creation of who she becomes as like a young woman. Her grandmother will not allow tickling and spanking to any kids in the house. And the reason for this is that she recalls a time in slavery where the slaves were punished by obviously beatings and then also tickling from a torture perspective. And so it had a bigger symbolism to her grandmother than just like even the perspective of like child obedience. It was like so symbolic. And her grandmother was very symbolic about everything she did. So this is where Jada is getting all of this outspoken kind of advocacy, obsession, love, you know, messaging and all this is kind of coming from this origin. But Jada gets a big surprise from her grandmother, which is that her grandmother's mother was diagnosed with schizophrenia and was institutionalized in Boston by her husband at that time. And this is shocking to Jada. And then she finds out more surprises about her perfect grandmother, which is that her grandmother actually got pregnant when she was 13 years old. And Jada thinks this was because she went to Jamaica and she didn't know anything about sex and how it worked. And so she participated in something. She doesn't know if it was consensual or not, but essentially she gets pregnant because she doesn't, she's not understanding at that young age, what can happen. And so Jada finds out this difficult truth that her grandmother would have been shunned in society because of the fact that she was 13, a woman of color, an immigrant, and pregnant. She ends up giving her baby up 
for adoption, then she's put in a foster program. She's in the foster system for a long time. And then Jada's grandmother is escalated into a white person servant position, which is where she learns to clean so well, which she had shown Jada to do. So this really impresses upon Jada because she's like, my gosh, my grandmother had this terrible childhood and somehow rose above it, became a leader in the community, met Jada's grandfather, who was a prominent doctor, and build a successful, impactful existence, which seems to be a theme with Jada in telling this story, which is that she has to have this picture-perfect life. And what's incredible is Jada seems to actually put value on this, this image of what a good life is. And so at this point in the book, I see the contradictions within Jada already. She's this good girl doing exactly what her grandmother wants because she admires her grandmother, but at the same time, she's rebellious and breaking rules and not respecting her mother who's working so hard for her. She's in one way this religious-seeking person with respect for all people, but gets carried away by the most pretentious of things, which is the image of a picture-perfect life. So one of the things that strikes me is that she talks about how her grandmother plays Beethoven when she's there, and she has to listen to it to go to bed. And I don't know, it just felt still very pretentious to me. It was sort of like, I think we already got how extraordinary her grandmother was. I, I don't know that we needed to hear the part where she plays Beethoven every night before bed. And this is where I start to feel like Jada loses me a little bit because I'm sort of like, you know, you had me at hello with the grandmother. You complete me. And I just has... Shut up. Shut up. You had me at hello. This almost feels like I just, I struggle to imagine the grandmother every night playing Beethoven before bed. You know what I'm saying? I just, okay. Keeping up appearances, a theme we will hear time and time again with Jada Smith and the Smiths in general. Oops, I have to leave it there. So many surprises in this episode that you haven't gotten from this little soundbite. Just join us already in the Patreon. It's only $6 a month. The link is in the description of this audio. We have so much fun in there. I promise you won't regret it and you'll definitely feel it's worth your $6 a month. I promise.